We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Glenn Patterson, who's the co-founder at WorkSchool. Let's jump in and get to know Glenn. Glenn, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me. I really love you guys' podcast. I'm just happy to be here. Thanks a lot. I totally appreciate it, 100%. Oh, that's awesome. We're thrilled you're here. Can't wait to dive into a little bit about you. But first, Glenn, can you tell our audience a little bit about WorkSchool? Yeah, so WorkSchool was designed out of City College. I'm teaching. I, I basically, I'm a professor. I teach different classes I'm in business section in terms of entrepreneurship, a lot of cool things around business. But the target audience that we teach, primarily minority students, fit in a certain category. And this pain point always come up around how do we move from this education to the workplace pretty mm. smoothly? Or I'm out of school. How do I find a job? What are the required courses to use to upskill? And I started thinking about this problem and my de facto answer was pretty <laughs> naive all the time. Like, just why don't you just go to Coursera, take a course or LinkedIn? And mm. invariably, the students always come back and say, you know, that's good, but I just don't know how to navigate the platform. I don't know how to get from A to B. Why do mm. I take the course? Where does it lead me? This is our secret sauce. I probably shouldn't even speak too loud about it. But what we started thinking about in this same point, and we started testing this idea very simply, is, is basically, what can we build in terms of an integrated platform that uniquely support the students from the time they're walking out of school, their last two years in school, to right into the job market up to that age of 40, 45. That's basically what, what our sweet spot is. Hmm. And what came to our attention for lots, lots of basic user research was just figure out a way to put the courses and the jobs in one place and then ask some service to create this thing for them. So it helps them get a job and build their career. That's mm. how work school was started. As an advisor, I came across a lot of students coming through my office and talking to me through this thing. And, yeah. and I just started talking to my friends and just talking to other people and said, what would this look like? Coursera is there. They're right. I'm now looking at Coursera and I'm asking myself, where do I go? I'm actually going to the platform to test myself. Where do I go? And most users our age group have a bit of sense of where to go, right? We might take a course just for this, take a course just for that. But the students weren't sure. So they wanted this journey. They wanted this pathway that take them from, okay, I take this course or I have these courses. What do I do with it? Where does it go? Do I need to go on Indeed? Do I look for jobs? All these spaces were, were pretty segmented. What we did was bring the whole thing together in a very seamless way. From the time you enter us, we are helping you right through that integration process from the courses all the way to the job and continue with you till you build that career path. Amazing. Isn't it amazing that there's still levels like you just discovered, right? That you still have to navigate on top of all the powerful sort of tools that are already there. Now there's a whole nother level of being able to navigate that. Isn't that fascinating? Totally. That's the cool thing about tech, right? We're always seeing different things, no matter what people have built. There's always a layer that we can put on it to make it better, cheaper, faster. That's the cool thing about tech. That's right. Now, Glenn, let me ask you this. When you were very, very young, did you come out saying, man, I can't wait to start a product like this? No. No, no. All right. (laughs) So let's go back to that, Glenn, for a minute. Before you knew how to do this, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and like where you were born and raised. Tell us about young Glenn. You know, I'm actually from Jamaica. I was born in Jamaica. My parents are actually entrepreneurs. It's one of the weirdest things. 
for immigrants particularly. Our parents, they're entrepreneurs where they are from, but they come to the U.S. and all they tell you about is to go to college. They're like, the American dream is to go to college, work hard, get a nine-to-five job, and you're good. Mm. But they're, they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. And did well for themselves. And you're sitting there saying, why did they not just tell me that? Yeah. So it took me years of just grinding through the whole ecosystem of what makes up different places, as we call corporate America, and just realized mm-hmm. that this probably wasn't for me. I'm not yeah. sure if I can even make the trajectory. Do they even want me here? That was my thesis. I learned a lot through the process and I started teaching, really enjoyed the whole concept of teaching because I was helping and serving a target audience that I actually enjoyed working with, basically mm-hmm. that, that minority group of students and just underrepresented community. And in it, because I did a lot of entrepreneurial stuff by myself, just self-taught, just you know, doing lots of consulting, working. Actually, I shouldn't miss this because I worked in the banking sector for years with small mm-hmm. businesses. Gotcha. I worked yeah. in banking. I was one person that does help all these small businesses run around with them, help them anything they want, anything they needed, how to register a company, how to get the company set up, how to raise money. I was just that, that guy. So I did preface that. So it's not yeah. like I didn't know, work with mass amounts of small businesses, just helping them raise capital, start business. I know that trajectory. What was different though with tech, and I came to know tech in like most people in our age group in this dot-com era, and just saw a lot of these tech companies coming out. And I was pretty curious about what these people were doing. The sad part about it, there were lots of engineers and it was this this niche thing and it was really hard to find the breaking point. How do you get in? It wasn't until after the dot-com burst where lots of people start thinking about, like a guy named Eric Reese wrote a book on it. What is the next wave of tech? How does it look like? It can't just be engineer. We need business. The biggest failure was because there were too many engineers and not enough business. So these people start writing about it. So I started reading a lot of materials about what they were reading just to understand, okay, I have certain skill set. I'm the business guy. I'm not good at tech, basically. I actually taught myself how to code basic code in HTML just because I wanted to kind of know what the text I was doing for basic stuff. But I knew the business side. So I said, okay, I can help these engineers with business side. I can help them. I can help them raise money. Because you'd be surprised how many engineers don't even realize that it takes you five minutes to get an EIN number. Mm. Uh, and in some cases, five seconds if your computer is fast enough to get an <laughs> EIN number. A lot of, yeah. a lot of them didn't know that they sit down and they're their company running and they're waiting for a lawyer to say, oh, you need an EIN number. I say, no, no, no. You can just go on iris.gov and just type in your name and you get an EIN number. So that's where my skill set came in. So I used that to define who I was. When I started teaching at City College, there was this incubator slash entrepreneurial space there. And I went inside there and just started lending the, the community my skill set. I learned a lot from that. A friend of mine set up a, a we started a, a VC type company, but it was mainly debt financing. So we were still oh. on capital. And we were just thinking around debt financing. That didn't work as well as I thought, primarily because I still needed a lot to learn in this space. But throughout the time at City College, I learned a lot, started doing a lot of mentoring around the entire community with make a few investments. I made a few small investments because I always believe that if you really want to learn, it's okay to go to school. I think school is great and I love school. But I've now come to the idea that if you really want to understand how to invest in companies, invest in companies. So I've made my investments and learned a lot from the whole process. Throughout that point in time, I basically just moved from 
the small business lifestyle businesses to the tech business. And I just met a lot of cool people who were building some great tech companies. And that's why I basically learned the whole tech scene, understand what they're building, what this means. And I'm a pretty curious guy. So I, I will ask a lot of questions and just start writing a lot of stuff and just read a lot of things. And that's why I break in. And I always said I would definitely build a company if I found the right problem to solve. Mm-hmm. When the right problem came up, I was just saying, okay, I have a certain set of skill set. And I just dove in with my founder. And this is where we are today, just basically building. And I can say I'm a better founder because of that process. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell me, what do you love about being a founder? Oh, man, it's everything. It's the agony of defeat. Is the humility to know, wow, I have no idea what this means. But it's also the thrill of just seeing something come together and just like, wow, look at this. Look what we built. Thinking about, I have no idea how to get this. And then all of a sudden you have it and you're like, oh, wow, did we did I actually figure this out? So I think it's all the above. And then the last piece of it is two things for me. is knowing that on one hand, the greatest thing that's happening in this, this generation is we're building crazy things and people are solving problems for a lot of people and making lots of money from it. You can't deny that. We're creating generation worlds like nothing we've ever seen. Mm, so true. Right. So that's the great part of this. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing that just is fun. You know, you sit at these nine to five jobs and you're, they get boring and nobody teaches you anything and you go there and you, you exit the way. In today's world, building your own company, you're actually learning so much. You're coming up with so many tools and if you do it right, out of every five of them, one, you get one right and you're just like, okay, I solve a problem for a lot of people can't ask for a journey. Glenn, do you remember that moment when you're like, you know what? We got something here with work school. This is going to work out. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So that's an awesome thing. Like everything is, no matter how much you feel you know, there's always this factor of, geez, I'm not going to get this right at all. That little thing inside you that you can't share with anyone, like you're, yeah. just, you know, you're out running something and it's just like, I should walk away from this. This is scary. Well, is that moment for us? We basically started off with a simple MVP. I didn't even want to call it an MVP. It's like the lowest thing. It was a Wix platform. Our first thing, we just went and bought a Wix platform and just set it up and said, this is what we're going to learn from. Mm-hmm. When we started diving deep into what the tech would look like, and I'm talking to my co-founders and there's a tech guy and we're sitting there saying, okay, let's bring this person on as a co-founder, what the tech is going to look like. We started designing and realized that, you know, okay, fine. We have no idea what design looks like. Should we go A for it or should we need to learn this? Where do we learn it? And all those times I just start saying, this is not going to happen at all. So we basically did some deep dive, found somebody who basically did some Figma, to, you know, bring the Figma platform to us and say, this is what you use for the design. We taught ourselves it. She helped us with the design. We got the design out and we published. Then we reached out to edX, which is just one of those platforms that basically popped We were looking for the very simple MVP, right? All right, since we can't build the course and the courses are so cost heavy, upfront cost heavy, what if we just get a partner to partner with us and give us the course and we put it on our platform? So that was our early MVP, like low fidelity MVP, was just getting the course and put it on our platform. When edX said yes, that was when I said, okay, we're onto something. This was it. edX said to us, yes, here are the courses. Put on your platform, a company by two, you just bought Coursera, big public company, just bought them for $800 million. But that was the moment we said, okay, we're onto something. We went and we looked at the site and we saw all these 10,000 courses on the platform and we said, okay, we're onto gotcha. something. 
There you go. Yeah. So reading from the website, learn for the job, learn on the job. Really talking about sort of that intersection of education and the professional world, right? What what excites you about the future of that intersection? There are some really bad things about this COVID-19 and this pandemic. Really bad things. We know them, right? Lots of people have lost their life. We can't even Mm -hmm. quantify what, what has happened. But there are some really good things. And one of the good things is basically the whole education system has realized that they can change. <laughs> All we learn, everybody's thinking, okay, we can actually change. We can actually learn online. There's a piece of all we learn. If you're in education right now, you've realized that there is 200 years worth of technology that can take place. Mm-hmm. The whole education system has not evolved in the last 60 years at all. Changed nothing. And everybody inside here are now looking at, oh my God. There's a massive opportunity. We can totally change. So what excites me is that opportunity where everybody's seeing that there is so much we can do to create opportunities for people who have never even had a chance to go to college. Mm. They can now learn. You know, you, you see people like Elon Musk, all these tech companies are saying, we don't actually need you to have a degree to get a, a tech job with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just bring us a certificate and you can get a tech job. The cool thing about what some people are doing, which is what intrigues me most, is you have people all over the world that pretty much can't go to one place to learn, but they can go to different places. They're going to Google and take a certificate, Microsoft and take a they take a course online. But really and truly, to most people, that's not a formal degree. You can't even go to a job and say I have a degree. Mm. But why is that the case? Most people are looking at this. How do we certify this as a, a degree? If you go and you, and you take, say, 120 credits from 30 different places. How do we certify this as a degree? The thesis is blockchain. Mm. Blockchain has proven its case study that it can actually create a ledger for something, which is money, e-money, Bitcoin. That's the first use case. Everybody's using it now. Farmers are using it. Painters are using it. We see it all over painting now, digital art, NFTs. Education is prime for that process where people can just take their courses that they take Put it on that node. People certified it. And all of a sudden, I can say, this person has a degree because they have certified those things. That is the future. Total, total future, basically, where now people are going to say, you know what? Why did I even need to take 120 credits? To be honest with you, it's probably the biggest waste of time in our productivity, by the way, to have 120 credits. We don't need more than probably 48 credits to certify that we can actually do the work we're doing. And the rest, we just take as electives wherever we want. So I find that the sad thing about all this is that the schools that are in the forefront of this that are always the top schools, Stanford, Harvard University, these, they're out there like just figuring this out really quickly. So, so that is the excitement, is to see how we're going to be, be able to become so productive, solve so many problems, big companies, small companies, education institutions, by just giving more people opportunities to take courses. By the way, Harvard University started right with Harvard Extension. That is their MVP to all this. They're allowing people now to take courses that they normally couldn't take because of either cost or logistical constraints. So now they can take the courses through that platform online and get a, a degree that basically says Harvard University. They have all these digital courses, right, where people are taking them, people are excited, they're sharing it on LinkedIn. But once people finish it, what do they do with it? They get a job at Google or Microsoft. Why? They can take that and go to Twitter. They can take that and go to Uber. They can take that and go anywhere they want if you can just find a way to put that on a platform that basically, and 
that. And a lot of educators, by the way, literatures are being written about this, that that is the next step in terms of how we learn using blockchain for that. And then AI, AI, artificial intelligence, as we are seeing it, it's growing, it's, it's still young and moving, but that will also be the second space in terms of how do we move education to the next level where people are going to be learning quicker and faster because of AI. And then in terms of payment, whether we like it or not, digital currency is the payment. I don't care whether it's Bitcoin or some government one, digital currency will be the payment. So more and more people will be able to pay and their currency won't devalue that much. It's the weirdest mm-hmm. thing, right? Imagine you're, you're a student from, say, Jamaica, and you want to pay for a course in U.S., and your currency is six to one. All of a sudden, you're sitting there saying, oh my God, why is that the case? That makes no sense. I have to find that much money to pay for my course. When, no, no. Digital currency, one-to-one, that makes sense. I pay for my course no matter where I live. I earn the same money. It's worth the same money. It's the same value. No matter how we think of it, right? So right now, we're trading currency. You know, it's just going crazy. But the application of that currency for people, the users, it's going to make it easy, which is the reason why in Africa, those things are actually taking really good oil because a lot of those nations are seeing, wait a minute, I don't really need to pay my dollar to the US or something else. And then all of a sudden it works nothing overnight because of some infrastructure that is creating that they have no control over. So those three things, those three applications, just the, the, the currency, digital currency, AI, and blockchain will totally define how we learn in the next couple of years and give lots more people the opportunity to have what we consider some formal education or some integration of education that they can bring to a job and say, hey, I want to apply for this job. I love that. It's brilliant. And the way you've laid it out, it makes perfect sense. And I'm excited to see that sort of blossom, right? Clearly, you, you have an open mind. You're able to exercise creativity, but also back it up with tremendous intelligence. And so tell me about where you developed those skill sets. Imagine they didn't just come recently. Take us back to where you learned how to do that. Was that through family or mentors or friends? Take us back into like where you developed those skill sets. It's all of the above. First conversation I had with Pearl when I got on the call is, hey, listen, I'm looking for a mentor for work school in a space where I have very limited knowledge on in terms of onboarding users and all the marketing stuff. Are you willing to be a mentor? Let's talk about it afterwards. You have to, we have to be willing to put ourselves out here. A lot of things, mm-hmm. a lot of reasons why we don't learn is because we're afraid to put ourselves out here. We feel, yeah. oh, if I ask this person, I'm going to be, be an idiot. But I think it was Steve Jobs said, if you really want to learn or do it well, you have to be willing to be seen as an idiot, right? We have to be willing to put ourselves. Sometimes our ego gets in the way. We don't want to ask a, for help. There's like a moment yeah. of vulnerability. Exactly. Right. And that's right. okay. Yeah. That's okay, right? And that's all we learn. So you're right. All that ecosystem allows me to learn is from those days, you know, where there's family members just teaching me certain things, showing me certain things in college, basically. I always tell people, I wasn't the smartest person in, the, in college, but I was willing to outwork you any day. Hmm. I was the guy who was willing to stay up two days straight without sleep to learn something to make sure I can participate in that class. So we can't be afraid about what the outcome is there's this thing going on, imposter syndrome. A lot of people always say imposter syndrome. I said, you know, I respect that, but I'm going in. Mm, yeah. I'm going in. It's okay. If I don't know, I'm going to ask. If I don't know, I'm going to reach out to somebody and say, hey, listen, politely, I respect your time. Can we talk about this? I'm happy to figure out how, how to reciprocate in some way. But that's basically what I've done for me. I've, I've had good professors, good teachers that just keep, and I just, just reach out to them and talk to them. And then good mentors. 
just give you one example. I remember when Bitcoin became a thing. I knew nothing about this Bitcoin. I heard about it at Columbia University. And basically, they, they didn't say Bitcoin. They said digital currency. And I was like curious, like, what is this? And I started researching it. And mm-hmm. there was a guy named Fred Wilson that was running a blog page. And he talks about one of, I mean, to me at the time, it was one of the coolest things you could actually read because he was the, probably one of the first person. And I would just basically sit there and just read a lot of stuff that he was talking about. So we have to search. We have to really search. Right, a network that make you guys on LinkedIn. And I just reached out and said, hey, listen, I love your podcast. I would love to be on it. But more importantly, I just wanted to create, bring you guys into my network so I can learn from what you guys are doing. Every time you guys put on a podcast, I'm there listening to it, watching it. So you're right. So we have to be willing to be vulnerable so we can mm-hmm. learn. If we believe we know everything, we're in serious problem. Glenn, you gave us a great example, though, of when confronted with that moment, like let's say, it's imposter syndrome, right? For you, right? You go, hey, I'm going in, right? Like that's the way you overcome that. Exactly. Can you think of maybe one or two times where it wasn't as easy for you to figure out how you kind of power through or just move in? What are some moments for Glenn that you can think of where it wasn't as easy to do that? And then eventually how you work through those? Yeah, I have to admit, there are a lot of times, but I'll give you two examples. I think the first time was a friend of mine approached me with the hedge fund space way back. And he said, I have a friend, have some money. They want to set up a hedge fund. I love your background. You have some background. You could bring some stability to what we're doing in this hedge fund. And I have never heard of a hedge fund prior to that. I didn't even know what that means. Mm, yeah. I'm sitting here saying, okay, I'm not going to tell you that to him. But all right, I said to him, you know, send me more information. And I went home and I jumped, jumped on and start doing what is, a, what is a hedge fund. Ironically, because of that hedge fund research, I knew a lot about venture fund and the startup industry because they're they typically the same thing, right? They're just LPs and GPs and limited funds. And when he came back to me, I was petrified. I was sitting there saying, oh man, I have no idea how to even do what he's asking me to do. But I just tell myself that if I enter this world I'm going to learn a lot. I didn't know what I was going to learn, but what I found out that there was less than 1% of the population knew anything about alternative investment, which is the whole hedge fund, private equity, venture fund space. And I said, wow, I could actually be one of that 1%. <laughs> In my head, I was just, oh, wow, okay. What's the worst can happen? Basically, we're a startup. They don't know a lot either. So I entered it and I was there. And the first couple of months, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just talking to people, learning trying to get things done. And the beauty is that the guy had enough money to just pay us to learn. Like he was just flying us different places and I just absorbed it. Like until eventually I just started really, 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 really learning a lot about H1. One of the cool things about that is that I actually realized I didn't like H1 space that much. I really like venture uh-huh. space, which is the weirdest thing in the world. But it led me to venture. Like it hmm. showed me that pathway that this whole space is basically cool. Try learning it. And that's what it is. But yeah, um, the second time was, I remember the first time I started teaching and people probably see teaching and think it's easy. It's really not, but I love the whole space. I always think, oh, wow, I could just go in and just start teaching and everybody would like me. No, the first the students didn't like me at all. I was like, oh man, this is not cool. All right, what am I doing wrong? And I just took a step back and said, you know what? Just approach it just like business. Why don't you ask them, what, what are you doing wrong? Like I just said to them, what am I doing wrong? What are you? What do you guys think I can do better? And then I started going back into my head and I said to myself, okay, 
who are the professors that I really like when I was in school and what do they do differently? How do they get me to like them? And I started looking back, just that, you know, just reflect in a moment, like what were their style? And then I took it one step further. I started going to other classes to watch the professors who people like and just like, let me see them all. But I wanted to apply my own style. I really wanted to apply a style where I'm engaging students in a world that they can think real world. And over time, I just got a breakthrough and that was it. But it was tough. And the students didn't like me. They were like, okay, this guy's too strict. And I was like, okay, probably I am too strict. Because, you know, you come from corporate work sometimes. We are a little bit more like stringent in terms of deadlines and all those things. So it took me a while to really figure out how to teach in a way that they could relate to me, understand it, don't assume that they know everything. So those were the two moments that I just found myself in a situation where, you know, at one moment I said to myself, you know what, I never really need to teach. Why am I doing this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it was just like the pride in me, like, why am I doing this? But I was home and said, you know what, I really want to serve this community as a student. You guys are here. You're doing cool things. You're seeing it too, right? Not every minority student are lucky like us. You know, I was fortunate enough to go to grad school at Columbia. And I can tell you, there's not one single student ever come across that probably struggled to figure something out over time or had access or the parents to give them the whole thing. It's just one of those things, right? I've also gone to undergrad at Georgia State and see that there are lots of minorities that basically have that. I've seen both sides of it. So for me, City College was the perfect opportunity to say, okay, I can teach, I can serve. This is the environment I want. So it would have been easy for me to say, okay, let me just keep going as if I can teach at Yale or one of these schools. But I don't know if it did excite me that much to do it. So I really wanted to serve this community of students and basically say, okay, here's the things that I've learned. Here's the struggles. Here are the mistakes I've made. Let's see how we can get used to that. And I've tried my best and worked as hard as I can to accomplish that and still have more ways to go if I if given the opportunity. Appreciate that. Yeah, really great stuff, Glenn. Really appreciate you sharing those insights with us here in that particular question. One more insight I definitely want you to share with the audience. If there's anyone that's out there that's thinking about starting their own business, becoming a founder, what type of advice would you have for them? Oh, wow. This is always a hard one. It's a, it's a tough question because I would probably argue that prior to starting work school, I would say to somebody, just jump in it. Mm-hmm. I probably would say that. But I think what I would say to them now is to carefully analyze the problem that you want to solve. Because if you're not passionate about this thing, you're going to give up. You're right. going to stop. Two years in, you're going to stop. So I would say to you, really make sure that this is something you want to solve. You love it. Your passion's about it. You feel like, okay, I don't care. I'm all in. I'm going to do this. The second thing is we have to define, sadly, between founders who are minor to founders and founders, and not necessarily minor to founders. I don't want to use minor to founders, but founders who just don't have the ability to afford the friends and family rounds mm. and mm. founders who have the ability to do that. Mm. It's two different trajectories. When you mm-hmm. have the ability to do it, you can just write it out for a year, even if you get no funding, and eventually figure it out. Most companies are successful because they stay and eventually figure it out. Usually what happens is one of those founders get into a place like Qualcomm, their tech stars, those places, and it just takes off. Hmm. The ones who fail are sometimes just don't have the resources to continue going. It's just life. They don't have the resources to do it. So I think if those people want to, so I would say to them, surround yourself with a strong network. 
make sure that you can find people who can support you, advisors, schools, find that friends and family around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Find that person who's willing to believe in you and write that first check, $5,000, dollars $7,000 check. Find those people and surround yourself with them very, very early and find a co-founder that believe in the same thing, believe in the same project. Like really and truly make sure that you can, that don't do it yourself. If it's the biggest thing, I won't even invest in a single founder. I'm sorry. Mm. It's the biggest mistake that you can make is do this by yourself. No way. You might feel, okay, I'm going to get rich and have all the wealth. No, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Find yourself a co-founder or two that's willing to go through this pain with you and find yourself. Two things I would say to them, basically three things. Find yourself a co-founder. Make sure you believe this is something that you want to, your passions you're going to go all in and surround yourself with a strong network group of people, people who can. I can tell you, one of the checks that, that I wrote, and I said I'm going to start off on, this is pretty crazy for all of us to do. I want to create something that's called the first 10,000, where people like you and I are looking at founders, minority founders, female founders that are coming out and doing crazy stuff with us, can't get that round. And we just write them a check for 10,000 and help them grow on scale. Mm. I just write them a check for $10,000 and say, hey, we're going to write you this check very early. All the checks I've written is probably the first 10, 15 checks. That's where that basically what it is. Mm. One of my founders, he built this course company. I met him like before you started the company. And he was just infinitely smart. Like this, I was like, wow. And he approached me with this idea. And I'm sitting there saying, wow, this is like really game changer. And I said, yeah, I just started building it. And I'm assuming he sold it to other people and they believed me. They didn't raise a lot of money. I said, you know what? I'm going to come in. I'll invest. I say, I'm in. And I invested $10,000. Crazy company build. Just raised about 10 mil. If this kid didn't get a chance like that, it wouldn't happen. It was just like that. So it right. requires people like us to basically come in and say, you know what? We will back you in this friends and family realm. We become your friends and family realm. We're not rich. We're not a lot of money but we can help you grow. We can give you the connections you want because what is Ycom here? All they do is have their bigger checks, but they can connect you. It's not the money that makes Ycom the crazy. It's because they can help you get from zero to one in less than 30 seconds. That is what they do well. So if we can create the same thing for a lot of these minority founders that are building cool things, but they never get the chance to because of whatever reason, right? Mainly because lots of white VCs still don't want to invest in minority companies. They're doing better, but they still don't want to. It is what it is. But what you're finding is that there are a lot more minority people are saying, there is wealth right here. Let's give it a shot. So if you think about our skill set that we bring to the table, if we can help a founder get there just because we can say, hey, by the way, call this person or you shouldn't do this. Probably here are some ways you could do this. With our skill set that we can all bring to the table to help these people scale up rapidly, all of a sudden, all we need to do is get them to Series A, Series B, and it's over. Yep. That's all we need to do, get them there. So that's what I would recommend them to do. Surround themselves, reach out to people like us, build that network, show us that they're willing to find a founder. There was one young lady I wanted to invest, but she wasn't willing to find a co-founder. And I wasn't going to take the risk because I was just saying, I know how hard it is to build a company. You alone by yourself is going to be too hard. So mm -hmm. that's what I recommend. Find that passion, really like it. Build a great network of people that you can tap into and share the world. Find a co-founder, no matter what you do. Love it. Love it. 
All right. Fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast is to name your top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Wow. That is great. That, that's a crazy one, right? I have to say Instagram. All right. I find myself using Calendly a lot now. I use it too. Yeah. Right. Love and it. Then, yeah. And the, and the last one would be Slack because I'm always tapping into communicating with the team on Slack. Yep. Maybe yeah. we'll ask Carol how many Slack channels you have to the future. <laughs> oh, wow. It's getting, it's getting crazy now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging crazy. out with us. You shared so many great insights and we're so happy you spent time with us. You talked a lot about entrepreneurship. You talked about how there's elements in life very early on that look just like entrepreneurship, right? And you talked about how to power through difficult moments. And you also talked about a a new way to sort of think about talent pools out there and and higher learning and education and taking a whole new look at that and how companies can be resourceful and tap into all kinds of great talent that's out there. It's out there. So thanks so much for hanging with us. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode. You can find many more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search for Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Glenn. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. I think this is a great space for people to just come and listen. Doesn't matter what background you are, you guys are doing a fantastic job. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Love it. Thank you, Glenn.